Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Pain Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. You can find this podcast on the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Canis Hoopers family. Today, we're going to do a mailbag pod. Uh, we've got a few good questions here. Thank you to everyone on Twitter who, who sent some questions in. We'll, we'll get to as many as we can. I'm here with Kyle Tigey, and I know that, that Kyle and, and I really can speak and ramble on at times, <laughs> so... I'm not sure how many of these, you know, 10 questions or whatever that we had come through on Twitter we'll get to, but um, Kyle, editor-in-chief of Tanner Supers, obviously, what's going on, man? How's it going, dude? Yeah, we should, let's let's preface, preface this by saying it's a Friday afternoon over on the West Coast, Saturday morning for our friends in Australia. Um, Jake and I are going to give ourselves a hard out here of about an hour and 15 because then the Wolves play. So we are recording this before game one of the Oklahoma City Thunder doubleheader. Um, I don't know if you saw this, dude, but uh, it looks like no Carl again tonight, but he's been practicing, which is good. Um, Culver's not even on the trip, which it did sound like he actually messed up that ankle pretty bad. It wasn't just cramping. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, they, they go in tonight against a really short-handed uh, uh, OKC team, but I think the the way we wanted to structure this is we had some really good questions, more so just on the season in general. So uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm ready if you are to just kick this off. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. So we'll, we'll get into the first question. Uh, this is from Boo at BCVU84. He says, can, can Anthony Edwards ever reach his ceiling as the go-to wing scorer on this team with D'Angelo Russell as the point guard? What are your thoughts on that? I thought. We were starting out this whole thing with a, probably the best question, right? Like, yeah. w- without saying the same thing that you and Tyler and Jack and everyone have talked about for weeks all season, like, it, let's, let's just put a pin in it. Like, this season has been super disappointing. Um, they've blown three historic collapses that, what are they, 5 and 16? I mean, if that makes them 8 and 13, as I wrote about earlier this week, like, it's not a good record, but 8 and 13 is... I think pretty indicative of kind of what I, th- I think they are. Like, I think the roster has more talent than um, people think. So, but back to the question on Russell and Ant, uh, watching that Spurs game, um, I'm not going to come out and say that Anthony Edwards is more talented than D'Angelo Russell right now. I don't think that's true, but he's going to be. I don't think that's yeah. a question. Um, I think since he got promoted to the starting lineup, um, he looks really comfortable <laughs> and he, he, his three pointers have, have his, percentage from out there has gotten better um he's just a bulldozer going to the rim and he he loves absorbing contact he's still not getting fouls uh he still gets kind of you know he's almost too passive not in a Wiggins way but I think he's just like a I'm a rookie I'm 19 you know it we gotta let D'Angelo and Malik cook I don't think that's a great that that's on the I'm sure we'll talk about this but that's on the coaching staff to be like no and you need the ball um 
but I kind of just always believe in with the proper coaching, which I don't know if we have, I kind of believe cream always rises to the kind of top, you know, like if Ant's just the best yeah. player on the floor at some point when he's maybe not a rookie and he doesn't have to wear funny backpacks around anymore, he's just going to take the ball and he's just going to be like, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm better than you. I'm bigger than you and I'm better than you. So I think he can. I mean, I think as much as we hate on D'Angelo Russell and most of it's valid, um, I think he's kind of in a weird spot too because I still think he's trying to figure out what he's supposed to do. And some of that is on the coaching. Like, you know, that spurt. And it seems like the town's, it seems like the town's injuries and, and COVID kind of really have sucked the life out of Russell a little bit. Like he just seems so much more energized and willing to, to be that that dude that we expect him or expected him to be uh, when Towns is there. And then, you know, Towns comes back after waiting all this time through the pandemic to, to play with Towns. And then he comes back, he plays two games, gets injured. Russell goes into a major funk for those first few games. And then, you know, Towns comes back again, he gets coronavirus and Russell does the same thing. Like, it, it almost seems like, like you said, he's just trying to figure out where his role is in this team, what he can do, what he can't do, what the coach is going to let him do, what the coaches aren't going to let him do, what, you know, like I, I can see how he would be just as confused as Anthony Edwards as a rookie at, the, at this point because everything is just up in the air. There's so many balls in the air. There's plates spinning. Like it's it's hard to figure out as a fan, let alone as a guy who's playing point guard for 30 minutes a night. Yeah, and he... He, your Jake has one of the best like eyes for studying basketball. So you've seen all the tape on his old teams, right? Golden State, Brooklyn, LA. Um, D'Angelo Russell's like when he's when he's clicking, he's a fun basketball player in terms of he's yeah. very animated on the court, right? He's making flashy passes. He's he's talking a lot. He's using his weird tree like hands all over the place. Um, you're not seeing a lot of that, and I think it's like you said. I think it's because he's just kind of been neutered since Carl's been out, you know what I mean? And and there's a there's an argument there that you're a max player, you need to kind of step up, but right. but and this this is without going four hours on psychological like not everyone's meant to lead. <laughs> like that's just a class like he he's still only twenty five years old, I think. Like not everyone is just meant to be like, oh, the first in command is out. Okay, I'm the leader. Like that's just I don't think his personality. Um and while I thought he didn't single handedly lose the Spurs game, that was a <laughs> That was, let's give everyone a medal. That was a collective effort for blowing another lead. But um, but it's it's you know it's not. Is it really on D'Angelo Russell if he's empowered to just keep going isolation? You know what I mean? Like yes, Anthony yeah. Edwards and Malik were frozen out in the fourth quarter, but no one was yelling at D'Angelo to pass the ball. So so for the and it happened. It happens in other games. Yep. It's like the yep. game that came to my mind was the win against Cleveland, and at the end of that win, they went cold for like three or four minutes in a row. Uh, thankfully, Cleveland just happened to go even colder for those three or four minutes. But they were running D'Angelo Russell ISOs for the entire 24 seconds to try and waste time yep. for the last three minutes of the game. And he missed every shot because when everyone knows you're going to dribble for 23 seconds and then shoot, it becomes a lot easier to defend. And that just seems to be their game plan right now. Is it, They're trying not to lose rather than trying to win. Yep. If they can... You know, run down the clock with a with a Russell isolation. They knock twenty seconds off the clock. But that's just I just feel like in any sport ever that 
the trying not to lose gets proven to just be the wrong way to go about it. You need to attack a win and and, and, and take the win rather than just hold on to it. And that's probably the best way to wrap that question up, even though, it, again, we've pivoted from the question. Um, You're a big, yeah. you're a big soccer I, slash... Fo- I will say... Oh, you go. I was, was going to say, I, I will say that I think it's a good philosophical question and probably one that, that Rosas ponders quietly to himself, you know, more often than, than he'd like to admit. I don't think that Edwards can become his best, best self next to Russell, but I don't think that doesn't mean he can become very good and a very important player. I just think that Russell doesn't really maximise on-ball scorers the way that any on-ball player doesn't maximise other on-ball scorers. Like, James Harden doesn't maximise other on-ball scorers. D'Angelo Russell is playing alongside Malik Beasley, who's having a career best season, and the pair clearly seem to have good chemistry together. Yep. Yep. But the difference is because Beasley's an, become an elite off-ball guy. Like, he's shooting and his movement. Edwards, if Edwards wants to thrive alongside a ball-dominant guard, he needs to become better off the ball. And if they want Edwards to become the best version of himself, they probably need to have a less ball-dominant point guard. And I think that's a question more for the future. That's a bridge that they probably don't need to cross right now. But I just think in terms of absolutely, you know, breaking through his potential, then I don't think he can do it alongside Russell. But I don't think that is really an indictment on Russell. I just think that that's the way with some kind of types of players, you know. I, I, I'm with you. I co-sign. Uh, so we'll, we'll stay on Russell here. I, I put these questions together just because I thought we'll start off the, the show with a bit of D'Angelo Russell talk. He has been the talking point since that Spurs <laughs> loss. Uh, the, it's a funny thing with the Minnesota fandom is that we, we definitely aren't averse to turning on someone pretty quickly, but we also will show someone you know tremendous amounts of love if, if we feel like they deserve it. And at the moment, Russell's kind of on the, on the bad end of that. Um, Cole Neidhart, I probably got your name wrong. He's, his Twitter handle is, has the range. Uh, he asked, is D'Lo a starter on a good team or is he just a, like, or is his long-term outlook to be a great six-man? Um, I'll hit this first. I think he can be a starter on a good team. I think you can straddle the both sides of this fence kind of like he isn't being used very well as we just kind of touched on a little bit. It probably looks worse right now and maybe that gunner type game style would, would suit a six-man role more. But I just think he can still be used, utilized in ways that allow him to be like a very effective starter. And to me, it really just hinges on the situation around him. And I still firmly believe that having Carlton Towns, you know, high volume, high efficiency, pick and pop, you know, shooting type big man who can act as a linchpin for an entire offense really does bode well for, for D'Lo. That allows him, I think it allows D'Lo to operate in more space when he is doing that pick and roll, isolation, kind of shooting. It pulls the big out of the paint to help him get downhill where Russell um, historically struggles. And it, and it gives Russell someone to trust with the ball in their hands and that will help him play more off ball like I was just discussing with Ant. I don't know if he trusts Ant enough to give him the ball 60% of the time, but I know he trusts Towns enough because Towns is clearly a better player than him. So, I, I don't know. Without that Towns-esque kind of player next to him or someone similar, uh, I, I think maybe his best role, you could argue, is six-man. But I think that 
Towns maximizes Russell so much that it allows him to almost, you know, jump up to like a second or third option on a team that consistently wins games. So I kind of, you know, it's a, a long, long walk for a short drink, but I think that next to Towns, he can be a, a starter on a good team, basically. And and I wrote this earlier this week I, over at Canis, but I should preface this all by just saying, and I tell you this all the time, I have, I, I love this team. I have no like um, associations or allegiances to any players, right? Like I, my 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 going rate is always that they can have fourteen Luke Ridden hours as long as they win games. So like some of the things you and I might say here are like I'm not a Russell apologist or I'm not Team Rubio or any of that stuff, right? Like I come on, they're five and sixteen. Like I just want them to win. With Russell yeah. on this question, I think the uniqueness of how D'Angelo Russell plays, like physically, right? Like Harched over, very, very, you know, herky jerky, um, Harden esque in the way sometimes that it's very, you know, just all over the place. It's not as smooth as like a Steph Curry, right? Um, yeah. And when it's going bad for him, there are other players like D'Angelo Russell, by the way, like what I'm about to say, but when it's going bad for him, it looks so much worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think if you watch yeah. Steph Curry play, run around screens, the way he handles the ball. If he if he has a cold night where he's two for 12, it still looks great. Like, you still don't know that he's not playing well. With Russell, because he attacks the mid-range, because it's so much isolation, because it's so much dribbling, it looks bad. And I think, as we've now said twice, like, it, he's started the season kind of slow. Like, he's not averaging career highs, really, anywhere across the board. Um, but I also think, too, like, I, I, it's a good question, but, dude, he, he's, a, he's a starting point guard in the league. Like he, it's not, yeah. this isn't, we kind of need to put some of this to bed. Like this idea that like, I mean, okay, let's one little hypothetical path is like if the wolves win the lottery down the road and my eyes are closed as I'm talking about this cause it's so hypothetical, but they get Kate Cunningham, then we can talk about <laughs> this. But that's like a one, you know, like Avengers end game. It's like one out of 14 million type situation. Um, D'Angelo Russell has to be a very good point guard to bench him. Yes, That's... yes, yes. And D'Angelo Russell is, you know, like, I don't know, the 15th best point guard in the league, but he, he's, he's a starting point guard. This concept where you're going to throw this max guy on the bench as a six man, um, again, not to this question of this person, but just, you know, Wolves Twitter in quotes in general. Um, I don't think sometimes people realize all the time what a six man, like if you just bring D'Angelo Russell in with four young, I mean, the Wolves have all these young guys, right? If you bring him in with four young guys and he's just going to jack, he's going to be the most worthless six man in the world. Like you don't want to bring a guy off the bench that's, I mean, like, yes, I know Lou Williams is good at it, but some other guys like Dennis Schroeder or some of the other guys, like they do multiple things. So just this concept that because Russell's struggling, you're just going to throw him off the bench and let him come in and like, and then do what? Jack shots again? Like your team's just going to, blow leads and just give up you know 12 two runs just more than they're doing now so i think i think it goes back to when it's not good for russell it looks really bad but man like i was I, i'm a degenerate so i was watching his uh, golden state performance against the wolves remember last year when he just didn't he drop like 50 um like when it looks when it's going well it looks so good uh so i i'm not i'm not concerned about it uh, I think he's going to figure it out when Carl gets back. Um, but yeah, he needs Carl because he's running all these high pick and rolls. And, and you you know the X's knows better than I do. But he's running all these high pick and rolls with like Vanderbilt or Davis. Um, guys that provide no threat. <laughs> right. 
really, unless yeah. they, unless they crash the lane. So if he can start doing them with Carl, I think I've seen D'Angelo Russell and Carl run like seven high pick and rolls in like a <laughs> year. Like, let's just give them a little more time before we start benching guys that are making $28 million. So I think he's a starting point guard as long as he's in Minnesota, literally unless, unless like Cade Cunningham shows up or someone else falls from this guy. Yeah, he needs to play with good players to be good, yeah, Russell. Yep. He needs talent around him, which kind of negates the whole theory that you can just put him off the bench with the worst four players in your rotation. Like, right. You if you play him with Towns, if you play him with Beasley, like I, I think at this point his season is almost underrated because he hasn't been an absolute disaster. Like he's had bad games he's had bad five minute stretches that stretch against the spurs was horrible uh you know he didn't get a pass for six possessions in a row or something like that has happened and you know there's no getting around that but i just think that he's also had 30 point games efficiently he's had nights he's recently he's looked better if not still fairly bad on on defense but at least trying harder i just think that he's getting close to where you where he's just getting a bad rep even when he plays well. Right, Just because right. someone, need, someone needs to be scapegoated. And I know, you know, that, that happens. And, you know, I'm probably people are probably sitting there saying that, that I scapegoat Ryan Saunders, which is probably a fair point, you know. <laughs> so, like, but I just think that, yeah, maybe maybe there's a, there's a, a world where he's a good sixth man, but I don't think that means that that's what he needs to be. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like and he can be, you can be a good six man and still be a starter on a good team. Like that's just you need the context matters and the players around you matter and the you know play calling that you're getting and the the way you're being used, all that matters. And right now, to be honest, that's all going against Russell, and it's kind of this cocktail of just bad situation for him right now. And, and that's what happens when, like I said, when when you make more money, there's more expectations, right? Like yeah, um, I think we could pick. A handful of our you know our friends or our favorite people on wolves twitter and like kind of pick who their number one least favorite person is right now on the team right but at five and 16 okay. as i said in question number one at five and 16 everyone's to blame even guys you love yeah. like Nas reed love them still to blame because when you're five and 16 no one's really doing anything great except for maybe anthony edwards who i love like a child but everyone else is to blame so <laughs> with russell you know, the heat goes on him because he makes the most money right now on on the active roster. Um, he's also, you know, there's there's Team Rubio, Team Russell. But again, it just kind of like, and that's cool. That's cool. Fans, short for fanatic. But like, if, if you love the team, I love the team more than I love the players. And I just, it doesn't matter who plays point guard. I just I want to see them play well. And no one is playing well right now in that backcourt other than, like you said, Malik. So um, I think he'll, he's going to be the starter. He's going to be the starter for the rest of the year. Uh, unless something weird happens this summer, he's going to be the starter next year. Um, he has to play better. Let's not de-emphasize that. He has to play better, but everyone around him needs to play yeah. better too. So, Yeah. Um, i got this question I'm going to throw in there. This is from me. It's something I've been thinking about. I, I think I know your answer, but I'd, I'd just like to know. And I, I probably could have asked you this off air, but what's worse? Is it the the blowout losses to the Wizards or the blowout losses where they're not involved in the game pretty much from the first minute or is it these 15-point collapses in the fourth quarter as a fan? Like, what are you? What what annoys you more? It's not even close. It's collapses. It's blowing leads. Yeah. It's not even, yeah. like I said, um, 
and, and, and you brought up the Wizards, so that's kind of a outlier. But, like, getting spanked after they lost Carl by the Lakers and Clippers, um, whatever. Like, I watch a lot of Laker yeah. games just on the side. The Lakers spank a lot of people. Also, as the trend goes in this COVID season now without a bubble, a lot of teams just get spanked on a given night. Like, it, that just kind of is what it is, you know? Like, good yeah. teams get blown out by bad. I mean, I thought – I can't remember what it was, but there was a there was a random one. Like, I think the OKC – like was down to like nine guys and beat the Rockets by 20 and the Rockets have been really good. So that, that doesn't mean yeah. anything to me. It's the, you know, it's kind of like I had no expectations because of five minutes in the game was over. Um, it's these losses where they play really well. Like we should all be entering Friday, entering the weekend, super excited about this OKC game because it could be the first time they could have a winning streak because they all played the Spurs. I mean, they just flat out yeah. for 30 seven minutes were just not even like the better team i mean they were a completely different stratosphere they just did everything right and then to just and again this goes back to i was trying to say this on question one but um you're a big soccer slash you know football fan um american soccer and like it i played soccer growing up and in like college and stuff and like it it's you you worded it so well the concept of playing not to lose rather than playing to win like they just, it's almost like yeah. they just would rather when they have a lead in crunch time, hold the ball and let the shot clock expire because they're just so yeah. fucking nervous to lose. And it's like, okay, well, why are we nervous to lose? We've already like historically collapsed. They, it's kind of like my, the mantra for the season is it can't get any worse because it can't like that Spurs loss was brutal. I don't know, man. It wasn't really any more brutal than the other ones, right? Like we yeah. all kind of felt it. So they, you, like you said, in soccer and stuff too, like you can't just be super scared up one nothing with like sixty five minutes. Like you got to go make it two nothing. You got to go score. Yeah. You got to be aggressive. Like in in American football, and like we have. I was gonna say we have the Super Bowl this weekend. Like when teams are up, the best teams in the league go for more points. They go for another touchdown. They're not just yeah. trying to run the clock out. And that's what the Wolves do. It's just such being afraid of the result that it's just go for it like you're young like take risks like what are you again what are you gonna lose other than another game you've already perfected that shit (laughs) it just compounds as well that's the problem is that every time this happens they get more scared next time that they're up by 15 points right because they think you know in the back of their mind it's shit like Cole anthony hit that crazy game winner on us like demar derozan tend to prime Michael Jordan in the last eight minutes. Like anything can happen when you when the faith that you can win completely, you know, escapes the room and, and it's it's not just a anomaly anymore. You know, the Memphis game was a was just a Timbles thing where they had a bad game that the Orlando game was kind of oh no, that, that that happened again and now it's a trend. Like that San Antonio Spurs game has made it a trend that they are very very uh, liable to blow a big lead in the fourth, so it's it's definitely a mental thing. I think just as much as it's a coaching thing and and a you know talent thing, I think it's just as much a mental thing. And the and the three hundred or so NBA players in the league are the top point zero one percent of all basketball players in the league, in the world. Okay, they're the most comp- every NBA player or ninety nine point nine percent of them are some of the most competitive dudes ever. And now you're putting on multiple films now, like in in terms of a boxing match almost, like if the Wolves in the fourth quarter literally just go into the corner and just take beatings, right? And all it would – you don't have to outplay the Spurs 48 minutes. 
all you have to do is like, and as you watch the flow of a game, just punch someone back like one or twi- once or twice. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when, when, when your yeah. lead is 18 and it gets to 12 and to eight, just like a quick 4-0 run because the, the, the teams yeah. will roll over. Like I watch basketball now for 32 years. Like teams will roll over if you just punch them in the mouth once or twice. Like just take that eight-point lead that's dwindled, get it back to 12, and then the Spurs like, okay, we're screwed. You know what I mean? Like you don't – it's yeah. not that hard. Like we're not asking for like this magical change. Like you just need to execute once in the, you know, under that, two well, minutes. That's what happened in the New – that's what happened in the Pelicans game. Yes. Because the Pelicans yes. started to come back. Towards the end, and Malik Beasley hit that corner three. Yep. yep. And that that was the punch back where it was like you saw everyone in, on the Pelicans roster kind of you know drop their shoulders, and it was like, all right, well we've lost this. Yeah. Right. Imagine like we almost came back. Yep. And now we've been punched in the face again. You know, it's game over. Like I, they just can't do that at the moment. When you're down, when you're down, like it's literally like you're climbing up a mountain, right? And if you're climbing up a mountain and you slip, and Malik Beasley hits that three, and then you fall back a little bit, you literally lose the motivation to keep climbing. And that's all the Wolves have to do is, like yeah. I said, if you could just run a play, you know, it's 2.30 left in the game and you're up eight, call a timeout because God forbid Ryan keeps bringing him over for the rest of the season, call a timeout, run one play and get a basket. And that basket just adds to like the mountain that these teams have to climb. So to answer your question, which is the best question of the season, like it's these, it's these collapses that suck because players play really yeah. well, right? Like. If I'm Malik Beasley, I am so mad about that Spurs finish because the next 48 hours should have been about how awesome I am. <laughs> it should have been about how I should yeah. be in most yeah. improved votes. I should be like not making the all-star game, obviously, but like getting some votes. Like that dude played fantastic. And it was mirrored by the fact of just another storyline of an epic collapse. So it's it's that that drive that's the stuff that drives me bananas. Yeah, I completely agree. That I thought that's the, the stance he'd taken, and I do agree with that. Uh, moving on, we're going to have to talk about Ryan Saunders at some stage, probably. So this this question is from It's Chris at Chrissy Tweets. Uh, he says, when Cat, when Cat finally comes back, what does Saunders need to do to keep or lose his job? Say he gets 30, 30 to 40 games of D'Angelo Russell and Cat. Is a 500 record good enough? Does it need to be better? What do we need to see? Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts there? <sighs> Let me think. I mean, <laughs> I, I, they're 5 and 16. So yeah. I, I, I think, and again, I'm not going to say the same stuff that everyone has been saying, but you know, I get to know Ryan a little bit. Like he is a great guy, um, but this is the results-oriented business, right? So even though they're five and sixteen, or in my messed-up brain, I have them at eight and thirteen with those collapses. Like I just want to see guys develop. Like I want to see these. Two, like so now we're talking about these three historic collapses. We're talking about their lack of running sets in the fourth quarter. I need to see that. Like it, it really isn't wins and losses to me because I think this season, while it's going worse than we thought, was, in my opinion, always a developmental year. There's a reason they were only pegged to 28 wins in the over-under, right? Like they were, they were supposed to be bad. Not this bad, but it's – I mean, I don't know, man. If they, finish fi- if they finish with a 500 winning percentage from here on out when Carl comes back – I don't think that means that Ryan is safe if it's if they're sneaking by, right? Or if they're beating teams that are are tanking down the road. Um, you got to start to see like 
the Rubio Russell connection gel more, or you got to see Ant take another leap. You got to see that your head coach and your coaching staff is putting guys in the positions to win. Um, I think personally, and I think Gerse thinks this well, I really think wins and losses don't mean anything because if they did, Ryan's probably not here right now anyway, because <laughs> he's yeah. the worst, yeah. they have the worst record in the league. So, um, I don't know, man. It, it really comes down to if he connects with D'Angelo, because I don't think he has right now. I don't think they don't like each other, but I don't think he's getting through to him. Um, and I guess we'll see when Carl comes back. But I know Carl has a lot of power, rightfully or wrongfully. I don't really love when any athlete has a lot of say in that stuff, because I don't think, well, athletes are tremendous what they do. I don't think they always have like, you know, When's the last time you can think of an ath like a yeah. star athlete in football, basketball, soccer, whatever that was like brought in their coach and it worked? You know, it's sometimes those coaches. Yeah. That- well, even LeBron, even LeBron has made some just horrible, you know, general manager decisions, and he's kind of obviously like the most cerebral player I've ever seen in my lifetime. So it definitely doesn't correlate between on court smarts and and team building. Like that's why people get paid to build a team. Right. That's why Jason Roses gets paid to build a team and not Carl Anthony Towns because that's what he's quote unquote good at right and you i you know, know the, Le- so. the lebron thing like back I, i'm i'm aging myself a little bit with how many years ago this was but like when he got to la and they kind of rebuilt with him and ad um like i think i think he wanted jason kidd or ty ty Lue, you know what i mean and the lakers like no we're yeah. gonna get frank vogel and like frank vogel has been awesome granted he has a lot of talent but he's also coached his ass off for that team so I don't know, man, with Ryan. I think Ryan is, regardless, I think he's going to get a chance to coach this healthy roster. I didn't think he would make it through this season because of how bad it's gone. Um, But then again, I do think it's going to get better when Carl comes back. So maybe that saves Ryan for the year. But to me, it's not so much about the end result. It's more about the, (laughs) this is so cliche, but like, it's really about the process. Like, is he starting to correct some of the same shit that we've just been arguing or, you know, talking about, like, collapses and lack of development and and some of these you know minor things if he's fixing that then i think he'll be able to stay employed but i mean if we're talking about more historic collapses after valentine's day and around march then i mean again it's tough to talk about firing someone it's just a weird thing in general like anyone losing their job but if you can't if you can't especially in the middle of a pandemic yeah yeah but if if, if you can't if you can't get your team if you're a player's coach and you can't get through to your players and and get them to take a step you're starting to hurt the value of those players and their careers and you gotta go it's it's that simple you gotta go i i think that's a great point that you made about the wins and losses kind of they obviously mean something like but they don't they're not the be all and end all i think the issue I have is that Towns is going to come back and they're going to be better, right? Like, I just think it's they're obviously they're not might not be great. They might not win half of their games for the rest of the season, but they're going to be better, and that's going to make Ryan look better, um, which you know is probably correct. Like, you know, it's it's hard for to win without Anthony Towns there, especially for a team that isn't very good and that that really is built around Towns. But I'm just worried about how much. Is Towns wallpapering these cracks rather than Ryan Saunders plastering these cracks? Like they're not fixing them; they're just putting a Towns-shaped wallpaper over the top of them. And at some point, again, these problems are going to rear their ugly head. The the rotations, the offensive play calling, all of this stuff is still there. 
even when Cat's back, but it just looks better because Cat is a walking, efficient offense on his own and just a walking, you know, close to 500 team when he has this kind of talent around him. I just... Uh, so, I don't know. I have... I've never known, for someone who's been pretty vocal about wanting Saunders gone, because I just think that he's just done a, a horrible, horrible job with Towns out, um, I just don't know what it takes for him to get fired or what it takes for him to stay, because right now he's, he's just, <laughs> he's been, he's been dealt a shit hand. So like, there's no doubt about that, but I don't know, like, if, I think if they lose five to ten straight games, with Cat and D'Lo, maybe that's the tipping point. Like, maybe if they lose 10 straight, I think, you know, he probably gets fired. If they go 15 and 25 in those final 40 games, I don't think that he's... I don't think he gets fired during that. I don't think he's the coach to begin the next season, but I don't think that he'll get fired this season unless something goes, like, horribly wrong and they go on some sort of tremendous losing streak or they get blown... or they collapse you know, another three times this season with Cat and D'Lo, then maybe they have to make a change. But I think I think, I think point, you beautifully Jack, said that. Jack. You beautifully said that. Like, um, again, we're not apologists, right? Like, we, we, we don't care who yeah. – we don't care – honestly, like, whoever your least favorite – whoever your biggest enemy is in life, he can coach my favorite basketball team as long as they don't blow fourth quarter leads. So I don't care. So that's like yeah. – it's not so much Ryan, who is a good guy, but if he's a bad coach, then he's got to go. But you said this beautifully. I don't know how Ryan still has the job because of all the things that have gone wrong. So I don't really know how to tell you what Ryan needs to do to keep the job because he's already surprised a lot of us by retaining it. So it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. I thought I I was going to get a Shams notification at least three different times this season. All three of those, the Orlando game specifically, I was surprised that he survived the night after the Orlando game. And that was the, probably the only time where I thought Saunders is going to get fired tonight. And like, and the the I don't want to go on harp on this too much longer because I know you have other good questions, but I, it it's the elephant in the room on some of this. Like, it does bring into question the dynamics here because from what everything I understand, Gerson Rosas has like full control. Like this, is, the Timberwolves yeah. are his team. Um, he's got he's got Glenn to you know pay the luxury tax. He's got Glenn to do some things. Um, I think he has Glenn's. On, he's on Glenn's good side. Um, but because he refuses to make a coaching change, I mean, up until like two weeks ago, Gerson Rosas was had a hundred percent approval rating. Like he really did. Yeah. Um yeah. and now the D'Angelo Russell warts and some of the other things and seeing Wiggins do well and then, you know, being five and sixteen and not having a a first round pick that's, you know, not any more protected than top three. Now the heat's on him. And in just sports in general, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big NFL, like football fan, basketball, soccer with you. Like, um, it's usually like, it's usually this time where the GM or the president finally sacks the guy that they kind of inherited because Gers did inherit Ryan. I mean, yes, they had other coaches they interviewed, but he inherited Ryan. And it's like the easiest bandaid for Gers to rip off to big, okay, listen, Ryan's not, Ryan's not getting the players I brought in t- to maximize themselves. I got to get him out and I got to bring in my own guy. Every GM or president in sports, you always hear that phrase at some point, they want to get their guy. So if Ryan is Gers' yeah. guy, then the heat needs to be turned up on Gers. <laughs> but it's just... And, but that's the thing is that Rosas is not going to get fired before Saunders because no. he, will ma- he will make sure he doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Like if 
if it, when it comes to if Rose has a sitting there thinking shit, Glenn Taylor's going to fire me. He's going to fire Ryan Saunders and try and get someone else in who can do better. But he's not just going to sit there and put his own head in the guillotine. Like, he's going to shove Ryan's head in there first. And then if he has to get put in there afterwards, you know, that at least he tried something. It's, I think it's, it's tough for him because I think he, unlike a lot of other people, and I don't want to, you know, kind of dwell on the nepotism side of it too much, but unlike a lot of other would-be coaches, I think he'd have to convince Glenn Taylor to fire Flip Saunders' son rather than Glenn just looking at the results and saying, yeah, okay, Gerson, like, let's let's fire this guy and get someone else in. I think that Glenn, to a point, will go down with the Ryan Saunders ship in, in terms of just letting it play out because he wants him to succeed so badly, whereas someone else that he has no connection with is probably it's easier to just cut ties with them. So I think that's probably the battle that the whole organization is fighting. I think that they're never going to fire. They're never going to fire him without Towns, even though I thought they were going to after that Orlando game. They're just never going to fire a guy when their best player has missed the whole season. Like, it's, it's unfair. As much as we both sit here and say that we probably think he shouldn't have a job, it is undoubtedly unfair for him to to not have Carl Anthony Towns there and, and to be fired for losing games. But uh, there's a lot more minutiae in it than just losing games right now. Again, you and I will go down with any sinking ship for the rest of our lives uh, with this team. Like, I love it. There is, again, this is probably a good... I'll just give this one away for free. This is a good article for someone to write. I don't want to do it because I'm taking the weekend off. But it, there is some very strong irony in the fact that Tom Thibodeau, who I do not like, because I have friends in that organization, and he was a bad guy. Tom, Tom Thibodeau was fired after a 30-point win. Yeah. Ryan, Saund- Which we would kill Ra- for right Ryan Saunders has the worst point differential in the league, has been blown out by 20 multiple times and blown 15-point leads three different times, and he is still employed. Again, I'm just on the outside. I'm just And, he, and his seat doesn't even seem hot, really. From the outside, his seat is hot, but from the inside, from everything we hear and from everything you just can can pass from context, his seat does not seem very right. hot. Right. And again, uh, Ryan Saunders, Shabazz Napier, uh, Noah Vonley, Shabazz Muhammad. It, does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who walks in, who gets paychecks. I think they're all probably good people, maybe other than Derrick Rose. I think they're all good people. I don't care who coaches the team. I just want them to be better than 5 and 16. So that's like I said, the you, you you can like people, you can be close to people, you are what your record says because the only way you get in the playoffs is with your record. It's not how nice you are, not how close you are with the players. You're 5 and 16. If this record gets much worse, I mean, someone has to you you use this last week. Someone has to fall on a sword at some point because that's what happens in sports every year. All the bad teams churn out the coaches cuz someone has to fall on the sword. So at some point the sword is very sharp. Someone's going to have to get either fall on it for the for the sake of the franchise, or someone's going to get thrown on it. And we're getting <laughs> close to that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Completely agree. Um, let's let's move on a, a little bit to some of these young dudes on the roster who actually are exciting. Unlike uh, most of what is surrounding them, uh, this comes from the good guys over at Tables Nation France at Tables Nation FR. 
They say it seems like Noel, Vanderbilt, and McDaniels are all earning their spot. Who would you trade right now if you were Rosas? And who would you get, realistic, like, uh, parentheses, realistic target? I'm guessing that's referring to who you would trade to open up, you know, consistent minutes for all of those guys. So that's how I'm going to frame that as I answer it. But I think, to me, it's Jarrett Culver, probably. I mean, obviously, Wancho is in that group as well, but he seems a little bit harder to move since he's just been so bad this season. And Culver was the sixth pick less than two years ago. As much as I think Culver is a much better player than we've seen and still has the chops to become a really useful guy in this league, there just seems to be a pretty big gap between what he can be and what he is and how he fits in this system. Then I just don't think that... I don't think Culver's going to outlast... Uh, system and and kind of you know front office change and i don't think that he can ever can never be maximized in this system that they're running so i just don't think he's a good fit pretty much and i think Jalen noel is like i think there's a real chance that Jalen noel is just a better player than jared culver and certainly on in this team Certainly as a better fit, as a as a mini Malik Beasley type who can come in and create shots for himself off the bench. Uh, I think that the, the option there is between Culver and Akogi. I think I still think Akogi is a better defender, a better cutter, and a better finisher at the rim, especially when Towns is out there pulling those defenders away from the rim, even though Josh has been just, just horrific lately. But I just think that one of those wings has to be moved for Noel to play. Vando and McDaniels already have a path to play already. Like, they, they're they probably going to be the starting and the backup power forward immediately, even when Wancho is back and even without a trade going down. So I don't think you need to open up minutes for them. I do think you need to open up minutes for Jalen Noel. I think he's a very good player, important for this team that lacks scoring punch, uh, you know, extremely. Um, so, yeah, and, I don't know. And, and I think on the, on the power forward front... Um, I mean, I think Wancho's going to get minutes when he comes back. And also, too, if everyone... And I'm trying to just be a better person in 2021, so I'm not just going to go on an expletive tear. If everyone could just chill the F out on these guys and trying to plan when they're coming back from COVID. Like, this isn't... Okay, yeah. this isn't a calf strain. Like, I don't know why Carl's not back. I don't know why Wancho's not back. But you know what? It's because they had this deadly virus that's killed half a million people. Like, just chill out. Yeah. When Wancho comes back, he's going to have to get some minutes. Because I think you have to, like, you know, have him hit a couple threes to then trade him in March. Um, but I think long-term, you're right. Vando uh, and, and uh, McDaniels are going to be the power forward kind of one-two. Also, too, and I, Jack, our friend Jack Borman wrote about this today. Like, I'd like to see Nas play alongside Carl, right? Like, there's no right. reason that they couldn't have, like, a mini kind of twin towers with those guys. Like, Nas has shown – no one has – Again, these two last two seasons under Gers have been really bad, but no one has developed more in a Timberwolves jersey for the last two years than Nas Reed. That dude is criminally underpaid. They have I mean, a great, great Gers deal, great Sop or you know, Gupta special, but that dude's awesome. Um, but I just want to fight for like 90 seconds because you watch a lot of other basketball. You are easily one of the two or three brightest basketball minds I have in my life. You just no no name on the back, just watch him play. A Kogi and Culver. You just have to, they're both really bad stocks right now. Stock is the lowest. They've probably both been. Um, you have to invest in one. I'm just going to say it. Big eye test guy. I would just rather have Culver. 
and I don't want to shit yeah. on Josh um, because he's having a really bad stretch and dudes do that and he needs Carl back. But we want to talk about fit. I still think Culver just has more playmaking. Um, I thought his – I don't think his jumper has been that bad. Um, like I, th- I, th- I just think he's looked p- fine, um, serviceable. Josh hasn't been serviceable. Like Josh just – there's – I mean he, he still very much has like – I don't know if you pick up on this, but like it looks to me through my eye test like his dribble is bad. Like he just doesn't – He's got the frying pan hands. Yes. Like when they – when the ball hit his hands, they bounce off his hands. Like they don't – they're not they're, – they're – it's when you teach kids, you know, to play basketball. He still dribbles like that. Yeah. And I love Josh Okoge. I honestly do. And, but and I do too. He, he's one of the worst ball handler, ball handling wings I've ever seen. And, and again, I, I, Josh Okoge is one of the best dudes in the league, right? I'm just, I'm just, I am now pivoting my takes to all on court. Like Culver has a, Culver's shown some handle, right? Like he's shown a couple flashes this year where he's gotten in the lane, gone behind the back and finished. Like he has length. I think his jump shot, this is completely messed up, but like, I think his jump shot is less broken right now than Josh's is. Um, and again, he's got, I, I'd have to look at the measurements, but like, I think he might have an inch on Josh. Like, I just think he has more up and you know, north and south and east and west. And I think he has a little more promise where it's like, if, if you had to move a guy, um, for, for the next couple of years, dude, it's going to be Ant and Malik. I mean, they're already showing such strong chemistry. Like, they're the two best friends that anyone could have. Um, and if you play them at the two and the three, um, and then also too, like this was, this seemed like it was 42 years ago, but remember like that little stretch where we saw Culver and Ant play alongside each other? I think Mike, I think our friend Michael Hagen like tweeted out like a Durant Harden comparison just for fun. But like, I, 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 I think Ant would play alongside Culver a lot better than he would Josh. I mean, they're already playing alongside each other now and Josh, I just I don't know, man. I think Josh Kogi can play. I think he's a good basketball player. I think he'll pick it up on another team. But if we had to pick one, I'm putting all my money into Jarrett Culver, and I think Josh probably has to go at some point. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. We do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah. Look, I, without going back on my point, I do agree in a vacuum that I think Culver will be a better player. Okay. Than than Okoji, I I I don't I think Okoji is pretty much just who he is. I mean, I don't really see him ever becoming a valuable offensive player. I think he can he's better than he's been for the last five, six, seven games or whatever. But he's never going to be a really useful guy. Whereas I think that Culver can. But I just think that if you're making a trade, it's so much more than just who's the better player in a vacuum. Because I think that Akogi's one strength is is more impactful than any of Culver's best strengths at the moment, if that makes sense. His ability to defend the point of attack is what they need on this team. And then, more importantly, Culver is easier to trade and brings you more back in a trade. And if you're looking to trade, you know, one of your players, you, you want to you want them to be seen as an asset. And even with Culver's stock as low as you just mentioned, I just think that he's still, 
if you had them both, if you were dangling those carrots in front of every team in the league, I'd guarantee more GMs snap it up, you know, snap up Culver's carrot than they do a Cody's carrot. And, you know, that means that, that Culver can bring you back more value. And, and, and that's fair, yeah, yeah. You, and you think, you know, you think that, well, you know, if they're watching this tape, both dudes have been pretty bad. But, like, Jalil Okafor is still playing in the league and getting contracts. Like, Stanley Johnson is still getting traded for every three seasons and getting contracts. Like, that's purely because of their draft pedigree. And draft pedigree can keep guys around in the, in the league for years longer than they probably should be. So, like, in terms, to get back to the question, in terms of guys that you could get for, for Colbo or for Akoji or for whoever either of us want to trade, I don't know. Like, could, could you... Could that draft pedigree lure Thad Young back to Minnesota out of Chicago? He's a name that's been floated around a lot, and he's what well, he was a good player in Minnesota, but he's become even better. He's just a really good veteran power forward guy. Does a little bit of everything. Um, and the, and the, PJ Tucker. So is the, the simple name answer to the question, up. if the question is crafted in a way of who do we trade to give these young guys more playing time? then the answer to the trade is picks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause you're not going to go trade for Thad Young and then, then what? Then you're burying Jordan or J- Jade McDaniels on the bench, you know, like, or if you go get PJ Tucker, yeah. then you're running out of minutes for Culver or Josh. And then Ant, like, so if, if you, it's almost like you don't want to cut ties on certain guys, especially like a Culver, but some, one of the best things you can do in sports is to kind of always be one year too early on getting rid of a guy rather than one year too late when they have, no value whatsoever um and that might i think that's the that's what i think cole i think cole was in that situation where next year he could either be somewhere just say they traded him tomorrow yeah. next season he could be the guy who you think god damn why did we trade jared culver or he could be the guy that's like thank god we traded him before he became an absolute negative asset that nobody wants. Which, like, which he's, a player comp for him on that a, fence a, to, a small player comp not really and yell at me if i'm wrong but like he had just a little, you know, couldn't shoot long and stuff, like a little Michael Carter-Williams in him. And remember when Michael Carter-Williams was traded, like, after his Rookie of the Year season, and he, they got some for him? And then, like, they got out a year too early, and then he was never the same. And he's still in the league yeah. now, but he, I think he's in Orlando, but, like, he's just, he's nothing. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe the simplest answer isn't trying to flip it for Aaron Gordon or for P.J. Tucker or for Thad Young. Maybe it's just doing what the Sixers did with Markel Fultz and just be like, can we get 30 cents on the dollar? And then we already have all these other young guys because Jalen Noel, dude, I need you to do nine film rooms. Jalen Noel can play. Like that dude can, he knows how, that dude's a, as the kids say, it's like a, he's a walking bucket. So maybe the answer is not to get anything like a player in return. Maybe just get a pick back that you can use down the road and then just slot Noel into like 15 minutes a game. Um, because those, like you said, the, the question, Nas, McDaniels, Jordan McLaughlin, Noel, like these young kids are really promising. And they're not just because they're young, like Jalen Noel can get a bucket now against a lot of dudes. So I think the answer might just be to cut ties with someone and become, I mean, they have to do this at five and 16, but uh, I think it's 48 days until the trade deadline. They have to be sellers. Like they got to find yeah. a way to move Wancho and just, I don't know, man, get a second or something. You know what I mean? Like just get... Yeah. Get some. If they can get back into this draft at all, yes, yes, that will just even just for fan base confidence. Like we can work with pick fifty. Yep. In this fan base, yep. like 
we can we can get excited over pick fifty. It's exactly like you wrote the other day in, in an amazing article, and please go and check out Kyle's article on Kane Supus, the the letter to Gerson Roses. Like, is that that we don't need much to be excited in this fan base? <laughs> Like, if we get a second-round pick for a player at the trade deadline, we will stalk that second-round pick into, you know, target center next season. Like, that's all we need. And I think at some... And it's another asset. And if there's anything that Rosas has absolutely shown he can do is that he can find talent in the draft. Every single pick he's had so far, outside of Culver, who we've just spoke about and who's still very much up in the air, not, not completely... Uh, a bust yet, but every other pick has been a absolute home run so far. Yeah, who, like Noel's still finding his feet, but clearly a player who should be in the NBA. Who, and that's what. Who are some of the guys that we're most excited about? Not because we're a, a shitty franchise, which we are, but who are some of the guys we're most <laughs> excited about? The, who is this question designed about? Nas Reed, yeah, undrafted. Jalen Noel, late second round pick. Jordan, uh, uh, Jane McDaniel's. I always get their names. So many J's. Jane McDaniel's late first round pick after you traded back, right? Jared Vanderbilt throw in. So if yeah. you can, I mean, you you spent a second round pick five years from now or four years from now to get Ed Davis. Um, and I know this isn't the point of this mailbag. We'll do this again in a couple weeks. But like Ed Davis to Brooklyn, he would make a lot of sense. They need a center. They need yeah, a guy that can rebound. They do. Um, can you get a Brooklyn second round pick? Because you've shown. Yeah. Well, maybe some, and they don't care anymore about their pick. No, but you've shown a propensity. Like, they just want players who can win. Right, you've shown a propensity, as you just said. Like we don't know if you're good at signing, you know, free agents, but you've shown a propensity for winning trades. Go trade, uh, you know, Wancho to a, a fringe contender that needs a shooter. Get us, you know, just start to accumulate because you you don't have any picks. Because I think Dane always says this. They don't have a second round pick this year, right? No, nah, yeah, they right. don't. That's so, Golden, at Golden State as right. well. Right, so unless their first is in the top three, I mean, you're ba- running into this summer naked. So get a second-round pick. Get another second-round pick in 2022. Like, just kind of build up that cupboard again because you do have a lot of young guys. The Towns and Russell thing will kind of settle itself out and maybe get a new coach. But um, I think this team has assets at the deadline that will be interesting to monitor because they have guys behind these sellable assets that are probably just better. <laughs> that should probably just play over them anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but Ricky's the one that we didn't mention there that probably they'll be trying to move, I think, to the deadline. Or especially. or this summer. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think if they if they were offered, I think they will definitely have the feelers out even now on what they might be able to get in a Ricky return, probably more next season or just easier to move next season just because he's an expiring at that stage and it just becomes easier to to trade him. But I just think that, like you said, they need to be sellers. They need to look for ways that they can can kind of maneuver this roster. The, the core pieces are there and they really have no choice. Like they're not going to trade Russell. They're not going to trade Towns, obviously. And is it the future? McDaniels is the future. It's the fringe pieces that they, they need to kind of yeah, like they need to turn five cents into ten cents. They're not going to get, you know, a dollar out of Josh Okoji, but they might get fifty cents rather than Josh's twenty-five cents. Like, that's that's the way they need to work. And and like you said, they've shown a propensity to do that and to hit on second rounders and to win trades. Like the I saw it pop up on Twitter today, and it kind of goes underrated when we discuss 
Rosas's tenure is that, like, he turned Robert Covington, who's having a pretty down season, and I'm a Robert Covington absolute stan. So, I, you know, I say this from the from the bottom of my heart. They traded Covington for Malik Beasley, who's averaging 20 points a game, you know, borderline, not borderline all-star, but he's in that tier underneath star. He, Jared Vanderbilt, who looks like he could comfortably be a, a starting power forward on a team. Uh, Wancho, who's been a resounding failure. But but, but some, good still, team, some good team is going to trade for, and he's still a talented yeah, basketball and, player. And a first-round pick that they did eventually trade, I believe, for Rubio. But even then, like that is a haul for Robin Covington. When you put that trade in a vacuum, that is the best trade that, that Rosas has made so far. Right, and again, it just goes back to your point of like, if you can trade a Josh Akogi for a... Uh, to a, uh, a bad team like the Knicks or something, right? That they could still is trying to rebuild their roster, but they'll maybe give you a second. Like, who knows if that second becomes, you were saying 50. What if that pick becomes pick 39 or something? You know what I mean? Like, you've shown the ability. And then if you had another second round pick, you pe- match those together and you get into the 2022 draft, you get into pick 26. Like, that's in the range of where you got Jaden McDaniels, who everyone loves. So, um, again, I know this isn't the, the, the mailbag for the trade deadline yet. We'll touch on, you and I will have, nine glasses of the wine and have fun with that one. But um, yeah, I, I think I, I still think, and this is more of my broader point, some people, because of how bad this team has gotten, have turned or soured on the roster. And I, I equivocally do not believe that. Like, I think the, ta- the roster has a lot of talent. I just think it's so mismanaged that it looks bad. Um, but I think with a fresh coach of paint, if I may, the team all of a sudden looks way better. I think all of a sudden you start to see guys gel. Um, I mean, uh, to see what Malik Beasley is doing in this situation, can you imagine like if Brad Stevens was coaching him? Like he, he just, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not out on these guys, but um, I think they got to clear some room because the young guys need to play, especially in a bad year. Yeah. Um, I'll wrap it up with this last one. I did have some others here. Again, if you commented and you're listening to this, Kind of waiting to hear your question. I do apologize, but we do have a, a Timberwolves game in about 15 minutes. So, I the last one is from uh, Jay-Z at jcarlos35. He says, is it too early to call it a season? And I'm just going to answer this one straight up. I don't think it is too early. I think that, you know, with the Wolves located inside the bloodbath that is the Western Conference... I think it would take a miraculous effort for Minnesota to get to the 10th seed for the playing games, let alone to the playoffs. They'd need to win 11 games more than they lose to get to 500 for the season. Uh, that sure seems like a long shot to me. And as much as it sucks, I think I've already waved the, the white flag on this season in terms of wins and losses. For, for me now, it's, it's about developing youngsters figuring out ways to build good habits and maximizing all this talent you do have and uh, maximizing it enough to start to build some momentum and hope things heading into next season are a bit better because obviously those things aren't as exciting as a playoff race, not even close, but they're vital for this team and, and you need to build just because you haven't hit the levels that maybe you expected or maybe you hoped, that doesn't mean you just kind of completely abandoned uh, good process uh, and so this team just needs to do the right things it needs to build up the youngsters it needs to play the right way it needs to try and win some games I just don't think that if, if we're talking about calling a season as in will they make the playoffs or will they 
make the playing games. I, I do think it's time to call it a season, but I think there's still plenty to watch for. There's plenty for the team to play for. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see them getting to even 500. Is that the way you feel? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I'm not, I don't disagree, but I was just going to say the same, like what I said earlier. This team, by the smartest people in Vegas, was pegged at 28 and a half wins. So whether it be because of a pandemic or guys getting sick or injured or whatever, like no one really expected this team to do much in like the top 10 of the West anyway, right? Granted, again, yeah. things are much worse than we thought. But um, to me, and I always say this, right? Like I always say, if the Wolves are frustrating you so much, we were talking offline. If they frustrate you so much, they need a break, then take a break. Like, cause yeah, you make a great point. Like they're probably not going to be a top eight seed and they're probably not going to be in the play in game type stuff either. Um, but I like as a degenerate, I love like the grind, right? Like I love, I, I used to coach. I like the bill. Like I like the struggles. I like the growing pains. I like that type of shit. So I like what, like, yes, they've blown leads and they've been miserable to watch, but like watching what Ant has done since he got promoted to the starting lineup has been awesome for me. And when he's really good down the road, I'm going to remember that stretch when he started and started to figure exactly. it out, right? Like, because exactly. I'm a basketball junkie. I know you are too. I know a lot of the people we run in the same circle with are. So um, while the losing sucks, and I'm, I again, I try to stress, you and I don't like losing just because we like the Timberwolves. Um, yeah. But we, I mean, I love, I love a two-game winning streak when Jake can do a film room on like things that are going well, like D'Angelo Russell figuring out or Anthony Edwards getting to the hole. So it's a lost season in terms of if you want them to be playing in June, but it's not a lost season from development because if you turn the channel off, and again, the Wolves don't know, we don't owe the Timberwolves anything right now. But if you can find the game and you turn the game on, um, you get to watch things like uh, Jaden McDaniels. Like you get to watch Nas Reed, who's making basically a stimulus check and playing like a elite backup center. So I'm going to keep watching. Um, they're not going to play 500 basketball. Jake is spot on. But um, if you turn it off, you you could miss you could miss some really impressive things. Um, because I think you remember watching like some of the guys right now that are the best of the best in the league. I remember watching their fresh or their rookie and sophomore years when they were kind of figuring themselves out, finding their footing. And that was really cool to watch, like a young LeBron, a young KD, a young Steph. So I'm in it. Um, I'm sick. You're sick. Um, but I, I'm I'm not giving up on the on the on the progression. I'm just probably giving up on on you know the expectations. But we you did you when we had an over under at the beginning of the season, did you even have them pegged at over twenty eight and a half wins? I did. I did. I bought I bought into the hope. Okay. You know you know how it gets in the <laughs> off season. Especially after nine months a nine month long off season, like you start to dream a little bit. I didn't think they'd make the playoffs, but I think thought I thought they'd make the playing games all around that mark. Like you said, I think that even even that I was optimist, uh, optimistic before the season, I still wasn't expecting a good team. Right. So this doesn't, this isn't so far from my expectations that it's like, you know, the Boston Celtics with a 13th seed. Like the Miami Heat, their fans are feeling, you know, worse than us probably right now because they win the finals last year and they're 13th in the East right now. And Jimmy Butler's been back for five games and they still can't win. Like, Well, that's my point is that's not- this team, if you, again, record, you are what you are, but if you just give them somehow those three blowout wins, 
this team is, I mean, they're three losses away from where I thought they'd be. Like, if you and I would have mapped out yeah. the season, we probably have them entering OKC at 8 and 13. So it's not like we... Well, even even if people are listening to this and probably are right now after one or both of the OKC games and they've won one or both of them, like, they're still not that far out of, like, being the 11th seed or the 12th seed, which is about, you know, where most people expected them to be. And that's not to... to diminish the fact that they've been horrible this season because they really truly have but like i just don't think that uh to go back to the question is i and i think it is a good question because i've pondered this myself but i i don't know what constitutes calling it a season at the moment because if we're calling it a season because they're not going to make the playoffs then i could have called the season after the first game could have called the season in the middle of the off season like it's if we're calling the game, if we're calling the season because there's nothing left to watch, then no, I don't agree because I think there's always something to watch. And as Timberwolves fans, especially, we just need to find those silver linings, you know, in those nightly dark clouds that are Timberwolves games. Well, to, to wrap it up, you had a, you remember like a week ago or something, you had a really good back and forth with Burt Robson. Um, because again, yeah. we're, we're, we're pissed off, right? Like it, we're frustrated. And I can't remember yeah. exactly what and he said. I, and I think on Twitter, on Twitter, I'm worse than I am in real life because <laughs> I just have to, I just have to vent for a minute or two on Twitter. Like I don't actually hate the team as much as it seems like I do. And, and, and no, Twitter is like again, if you could see Jake and I's DMs, like he's much more optimistic than he is leading on to. <laughs> but you have to like kind of like let it out on Twitter sometimes because we both have live-in girlfriends, fiancés, and like otherwise they take the brunt of it. And when they do their podcast. They're just going to complain for an hour and a half about how Jake and I should tweet more. <laughs> but no, I just remember what Britt said, not maybe verbatim, but like he told you that like even bad Timberwolves basketball is still like a privilege to like, you know, cover. Or it's like it's still better yeah. than, I mean, I watch college basketball sometimes. Bad Timberwolves basketball is still better than good college basketball. So that's yeah. why, like I said, there's still things to watch. There's still things to study and analyze. Um, but let's, I'm going to leave you on this. So I'm going to just hijack this. It can't be it can't be Ryan Saunders related. And it has to be concise. What were five and sixteen, so we're twenty-one games in and we're fifty-one games left. What is the one thing that you're most excited about watching for the rest of the year? Um Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards together on the court. As uh I guess as Ant, as Ant gets given more responsibility, responsibility that he's earning by the night, and Towns accepting him as one of his best teammates and not just a rookie. Does that make sense? I think at the start of the season, it was kind of like Towns knew he had D'Lo. He was pretty sure that Beasley was going to be this, you know, awesome shooter. And then there was the question mark that was Anthony Edwards. And... I think when he comes back, that question mark is going to be more of an underscore that Anthony Edwards is one of the best players on this team. And when I'm out there with him, me and him can riff and can can be a really good combination rather than just like, I'm just going to go out and and hope for the best with the, all these guys that aren't D'Lo and Beasley. Does that make sense? It's the number one answer. And the reason I say that is because if Anthony Edwards can continue to show the promise, that might be more important than Carl being happy with who the coach is or being happy that his friend's yeah. on the team. 
if he's that, exactly if he if he can see that the youth on this team is worth playing with, that's way more important than if the coach is his friend or if D'Angelo Russell's his friend, who we already know who D'Lo is. And if he can see there's a future in this, on this team with with other players that he didn't think there was a future with, that is so important. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I totally agree. If he can, if he can see what some of these other guys, like what Dame said after the Portland game, or what Draymond said after the the Golden State series, if he can see that Anthony Edwards is special, and that that might be his meal ticket to where he wants to go and win on a consistent basis, I think, I think that's the right answer. My only other, my only other little mini answer would have been because you stole mine, is that if Malik Beasley plays as hard as he has over the first 21 games and does it all season for the rest of the 51, and finishes the season kind of playing exactly how he's playing now, we have to do huge articles on him this summer. Because I think he would, yeah. I mean, he he has been the single brightest, probably, acquisition in the Rosas regime. He is phenomenal. Yeah. He's never going to be a good defender, but no, to, he has Corey Brewer level heart with a, you know, like a elite, like a, he has Corey Brewer heart and hustle with a Zach Levine type like mentality and ability to score. He's been phenomenal. So if, if he, if he doesn't start pouting and he plays like this for the rest of the year, as well as Ant develops, um, it gives you real, again, I know I'm probably just selling, you know, fake insurance here, but if, if, if they can do those things, that gives you real tangible hope for the future. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's what we need. We need to be sold hope, don't we? That's that's the old adage: is if you don't, if you can't win, you better sell hope to your fan base. So uh, that that is what we're, I guess, selling here because you know it is. It does feel like a hopeless season at times, but I think there is definitely things to hope for and things to to look for. So I'll I'll we'll leave it at that. We're we're pretty much at our one hour and ten minute kind of mark here. So. Um, thank you, Kyle. Uh, it's always a blast kind of getting on here and having a chat with you. And, um, yeah, uh, thanks for coming on. We'll get you on again. Yeah, dude, thanks for having me on. Time. Everyone that's listening to this, thanks for supporting uh, Jake and everyone at Canis. Um, and I always say this, I'm proud of you. And keep let's keep it going. And I, I do think, like I said, this is how I'll leave it. But I think January 2021 was the darkest time for a while. I think things will get better. Carl will come back. This team will start to figure it out. So, uh if you're a degenerate, a diehard like Jake and I, stick with it. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, everyone who who submitted a question, whether we reeled them off or not, uh, I appreciate you and I appreciate everyone who listens. So um, like, rate, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff is, is very appreciated and helps, helps the show grow. But uh, outside of that, yeah, I'll see all you guys next week.